the Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's happening? It's Rich Roll. I'm your host, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Have a very interesting topic to discuss with my erstwhile co host, Julie Pyatt. Hi, Rich Roll. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. Back on for another edition of AMA Ask Me Anything. That's right. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Um, before we get into that, though, we have a couple milestones to celebrate today. That's right, we do. This is episode 200 oh, wow. of the podcast. Can you believe that? 200 That's episodes. That's incredible. Wow. All the way back from that first podcast episode that we recorded in the warehouse in Kauai when we were living <laughs> in a yurt, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it's come a long way, and uh, really proud to not only still be doing this, but growing it and continuing to always improve. And uh, it's been quite a journey. So thank you, everybody out there who has uh, taken this leap of faith with us. It's been quite the ride. Uh, at the same time, we also uh, just surpassed our three-year anniversary on the podcast as well. Wow, it's crazy. So uh, that's pretty cool as well. So thank you so much uh, to everybody who has... Uh, Who's been along for the ride? I know, and who knew? Like, just, and I can still remember the first episode with the rain coming down in sheets and the mosquitoes eating my ankles alive, like literally. Well, the echo, <laughs> drawing that, blood. The echo. We're on a concrete floor in a warehouse that has like a f ceiling that's like seventy feet above us, and you just hear the whole thing like <laughs> echoing around. It was hilarious, that was but crazy. I think we've stayed true to the spirit of that original show. Of course, it's become a little bit more professional, and we have, you know, sponsors and things like that. So it's a little bit different, but. I think the core of it, the essence, the spirit of it uh, has remained intact. Yeah, and it's so cool. I mean, meeting people, too, who have been with us from the very beginning, who began listening on Kauai, and it's such a real-time, intimate experience to be able to share that with people. And um, it's just uh, an incredible blessing that, you know, it's still happening and growing and that it's turned into this just incredible medium of, of sharing energy and, and, uh, and connecting with so many beautiful people. Yeah. What's so also thank cool. You. What's also cool is, uh, how podcasting in general has blown up. Like when, I mean, I would hardly consider, you know, the beginning of this show to be, I don't consider myself to be an early adopter in podcasting. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. You were already listening to tons of shows, but sort of early adopter, like, because it preceded the kind of explosion that has occurred in the last maybe year of right. podcasting. So now it's become, you know, sort of a much more mainstream thing than it was originally. And that's really fun to be part of that as well. And it's a cool community of people. I love being on other people's podcasts and, having other podcasters on my show. So, uh, yeah. It's a great medium of communicating, for Here, sure. Here's to another uh, two year, three years. Three and, years, And 200 least. more episodes, hopefully. So, <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, and everyone just, I think it's important just to add right now. So if anybody doesn't, doesn't know this, uh, Rich has uh, a dedicated app, which you can download and then get access to all 200 episodes because you only get, I think it's 50 on iTunes. So if you want to go back to the beginning and sort of, um, tune in when the whole thing was was born. Uh, get the app. Yeah, there's some great stuff uh, from back in the day too. The app's free. Just go to the app store, or I think you can get it on iTunes as well. Just just type in Rich Roll, it'll pop up, and uh, yeah, totally mm -hmm. free. And that way, you have the entire catalog in That's the palm right. of your hands. Yeah, and before you go on, I just want to say congratulations to you, Rich, and 
thank you for all your hard work and dedication um, to this show. Um, I'm your wife, and I see just how many hours you put into this podcast. We have said goodbye to our Sunday evenings together. It no, no longer exists because um, the podcast has those 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 hours. And um, also many, many, you know, at least two other nights a week, uh, you're not around until the wee hours of the morning getting this up for the listeners. So um, you do an extraordinary job. I think the level of your podcast really speaks to that, all the effort you put into everything, to the images, the design, um, the blog posts that you write, and also all the links and, and, and really just the care also with the in-person interviews. I don't really... Um, know that many other podcasts that are actually interviewing in person for the length of time. I mean, you really, really have a gift of being able to tap into what makes somebody extraordinary and sort of what is unique about them. And the fact that you share that with all of us enriches our lives. So I want to give you that um, that gratitude and that recognition at this moment. So thank you thank very you. much. And I know a lot of people are agreeing with me. So I know I'm not alone in saying that. <laughs> Maybe not everybody. No, but, I think uh, a lot of people. I appreciate that. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And uh, I put that work in because I really do care. You know, I think it would be easy to um, you know, just bang out, like set aside a day and bang out 10 Skype interviews for a half an hour a piece or something. It's just not, that's not what this is. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really lean into it and make the most out of every guest that I, that I get. And hopefully that, that, that comes across, but, um, I think it increases the work, uh, the workload like tenfold, <laughs> you know, because of that. But, uh, well, it's, it's kind of your personality. It it's like you, you know, when you do something, you really get into it and you do it, you know, with everything that you have. And so it's part of your personality. It's part of your blueprint. It's how you show up in the world and it reflects in the show. So I think it's very authentic to you, uh, much like, you know, running, you know, doing a double Ironman or Ultraman was the race that called to you. Um, this is the way that you do your podcast and it's it's beautiful and we all benefit. So thanks. Thank you. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast 
dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. All right, so uh, lots to talk about today. There's a lot going on, and I think we can kind of uh, set the stage by saying that today's topic of discussion is going to be the D word. The D word. Yes, Which the is... D word. The, one, the, the word that starts with D that uh, is ever-present in our consciousness, but the one thing that we really uh, don't want to talk about. That would be death. That would be death. Yes. One so, of my favorite talk, topics. Yes. What's going on in your life right <laughs> no, now? No, well, actually, um, yeah, we're in a, a super sacred, tender time right now. My dad is actually transitioning from planet. So um, he's been kind of in the process for about a week now. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been um, absolutely uh, profound and extremely sad. Um, and um, it's a it, it's it's so sacred and so beautiful to have the opportunity to be with him as he's going through this process. You know, not every death occurs in this manner. You know, there are accidents or you know other things that take people away um, in a in a different process. He was actually very healthy until um, you know his system changed, and so this hasn't been a a drawn out terminal I- illness. He was you know, doing pretty well a week ago. Um, and it's been, um, yeah, absolutely uh, heart-expanding and mind-blowing. And uh, the way that my family is experiencing this is uh, is just so incredibly beautiful um, that, uh, you know, I, I told them all um, the other night, I said, you know, we will never be the same. And I mean that in a, like, this transition has 
is bonding us so close together. And to be able to bond in that way, um, I think, honors the life uh, that is leave- leaving in a, in a very, very sacred, profound manner. Hmm. Well, let's set, set the stage a little bit. I mean, your dad is 92 He's years 92. old. So mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, you know, the guy's had a, a robust, long and very full life. And he uh, is, because he's still around, uh, he is quite the character. This is a guy who uh, is very different from Julie, a uh, lifelong hunter, fisherman, adventurer, explorer, who lived, a, lived very much uh, an Indiana Jones type of life. Uh, he was a, he's a World War II veteran, and after the war, he spent time in South America mapping the jungles, which is where he met your mom in Chile. That's a whole other crazy epic story about how that happened. I don't want to get too much into the weeds about mm-hmm. that. but um, <clears throat> and, uh, and is a bush pilot, and this is a guy who took expeditions to Siberia, to Africa, basically all kinds of places. Like in, And you grew up in Colorado, and then he moved your entire family up to Alaska, which is where he wanted to live so that he could, you know, do the things that he loves to do and pursued that for, you know, the balance of his entire life. By day, working as an engineer, he was instrumental in building some of Anchorage's, you know, biggest sort of landmarks like the the, the art museum, etc. So he, you know, he's had quite a life and married to this beautiful Chilean woman that who he swept off her feet and moved her to America and to basically is, you know, further away from her home than I would imagine she ever thought that she would live to go from Santiago, Chile, all the way up to Alaska and uh, raised a family up there. Mm-hmm. And now he's, I mean, he flew his bush plane until how old was until he? Until he was 87. Yeah, it's like insane. It is insane, right? 87. Like, you wouldn't, you can't drive a car when you're 87. Like, well, how is he flying an airplane? Well, I think at that point he did fly with another pilot, but he actually did get his license. Um, I think he still had his license, actually. And um, the plane, when he no longer got his license, like, that was, that was pretty rough. But, you know, he was, he was already pretty old. I think my dad would have rather he run his plane into a mountain. That's how he would have liked to have exited. Um, yeah, that's what you, I mean, I remember when I first met you and you were describing your dad to me and you said, that's how he's going to go. Like, cause mm-hmm. he's not going to want to stick around and be unable to be as active and as adventurous as he wants to be. Yeah, it's true. And uh, he, LA was the last place that he wanted to die also that he wanted to be. But, you know, he's been married to my mom for, I think, 63 years last week. And, you know, he also uh, adores his children and his grandchildren, and and this is where a, a good good number of us were. Um, so we kind of made him. We sort of forced him to move. He mm-hmm. he would have rather stayed in Alaska, but there were no, no children up there to really care for them. Um, so uh, we we forced the issue in the end, and and we've had some really super sweet moments. So it's. It's, yeah, it was I mean, the right, right L- thing. L.A. is the last place on earth that he would have ever wanted to live. Right. <laughs> you know, like, but he's a team player. I mean, he was really a trooper about the whole thing. I mean, he understood the logic behind it. So he could have created a bunch of drama and kicked and screamed and all that kind of stuff. But no, you know, they moved down here, and that was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. year and a half. Um, you know, knowing that we were kind of preparing for this inevitable moment. And so... It has arisen. And for somebody who is 92 years old, I mean, mentally, you know, the guy's sharp as a tack and has always been completely there. 
But in the last, like, two weeks, it sort of took a turn. He contracted pneumonia and went into the hospital, and now he's back in the guest house um, where him no, we're in and hospice your mom now. lives, uh, mm-hmm. in, and he's got round-the-clock hospice care, and it's mm-hmm. not going to be long. I mean, it's going to be... We're looking at 24 to 48 hours, most likely. Yeah, it could be a few a few more days after that. It's been really, really beautiful, though, because we've been uh, there with my mom and with him and, and all of us, grandkids, and um, his, some of his grandchildren flew in from other states, and cousins came up from South America. I mean, he's very, very loved and has had a lot of people around him. And the other night we were there, and we... Um, we just all started singing. I started singing with my brother, and then our kids came in and joined us. And we were just playing music and singing for, you know, two hours in his room, just super loud. And it was really, really touching and really amazing and really beautiful. So um, It's sort of uh, your version of sitting Shiva, except he's still alive, right? Like the Jewish him. tradition of sitting Shiva. And uh, and it has been a beautiful thing to have the whole family congregate, you know, around him and just together to kind of celebrate his life while he's still here, but knowing that, you know, he will be soon departing. Mm -hmm. And I think it really has bonded the family. And it's basically created a uh, an opportunity for all of us to have, you know, discussions about death. You know, how do we want to die? What do we want to happen to our bodies? You know, what do we want to express in our life before we reach this point? You know, particularly with our younger kids, right? Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of tears, there's been a lot of emotions, but there's also been a lot of really constructive, interesting conversations around this issue. Um, and it's an issue that in our culture, in Western culture, we repress and we avoid dealing with and we avoid talking about, right? So, you know, Larry is is about as close as you're gonna see somebody to, you know, sort of stepping off the mortal coil. Uh, but in my entire lifetime, I've only been in this situation one other time, which is when my grand my grandparents were were sort of close to that edge, and I must have been, I don't know, 18 years old or something like that at the time. Um, and since then, I haven't had any up close and personal direct uh, experiences with people passing away. I've had friends. I've had lots of people in my life die, but I haven't been around them while they're dying or sort of even witnessed their no longer living body, which is a weird thing because everybody dies, right? So you'd think that you would see dead people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine in a different era, you probably did. But the way that we, the way our culture is sort of um, constructed around this idea, it's almost like a, a sanitation department comes in and removes it from our sight line and our consciousness as soon as it occurs so that we don't have to really think about it too much or, God forbid, witness it with our own eyes. Yeah, it's true. And th- this does bring up a, l- a lot of um, a lot of, uh, of things to think about and discuss. And, and what it felt like to me is as I, you know, I'm, I gave birth to four children. So in the beginning, my first son, I asked my daughter if I my, asked my, my doctor if I could have a water birth. And he basically shut me down and laughed me out of the office. Um, and that was 20 years ago. Um, and so um, uh, 
you know, as I gave birth to each child, I actually gave birth in the hospital. Um, my last two children I wanted to have at home. But again, you and other people um, sort of convinced me that it wasn't really smart because we didn't really live near a hospital and, you know, these things could happen. And, and I had had a, a, actually a pretty amazing experience with my doctor. Um, I had very, very fast labors and, and they were actually pretty amazing. Um, so I chose to, uh, to just stay in that format. And, but by the time I gave birth to Jaya, who was my last daughter, I had become aware that I could refuse certain things. I didn't have to take every, you know, every shot they, af- they asked. I didn't have to let them bathe her. I could keep her myself. You know, these type of things. I got smarter with every child. And I would say when we gave, I say when we gave birth to Jaya is because we actually had a family birth in the hospital with my boys playing music, lying in the bed with me. Mathis was there. You were there. And um, it was absolutely extraordinary for us to give birth to Jaya and for her to go right Right. I didn't let we didn't let them wash her. I didn't let them touch her. I didn't let them give her any shots. And she went right into her brother's arms, right into your arms. Right. I mean, we have photographs from that day um, that our friend Stacy Turk took and she was there covering it. And that was absolutely extraordinary. And I feel like that event bonded us like no other event we ever experienced in our life. Like it was almost like after Jaya was born we were no longer the same. We were no longer individual. We were like a tribe. So now here I am in my dad's experience and we're going through this similar experience. And it's, there's a lot of pain in it, but there's also a lot of joy in it because it is a birth into another, another life, another form of life. Death is really a birth. So birth has pain in it and a birth has joy in it. So it it really is a similar experience. I mean, when we were singing in his room and you know, all the tears that are expressed from all the, everyone in the family and the openness of expressing and of experiencing this together and holding each other through these moments. Um, the blessing that we have had has just been immense. And we have found out that uh, when he decides to exit, to leave his body, uh, it's up to us how long we keep the body with us because we're at home. So um, we have, uh, you know, prepared our own ceremony, which, you know, which we are going to do. And we have certain certain sacred practices and and things that we've discussed between us. And I'm just going to leave that private because that's our own process. But um, uh, we we do have control and you can, um, you know, you can have it your way. You can, you know, sort of... uh, um, design it the way that you want to, what feels comfortable to you. And, you know, the body doesn't have to be taken away right away. And I would say, you know, I know from my spiritual practice that, you know, you don't want to cut or, or touch the body in a, in a, you know, cutting way uh, for 72 hours after death, because there is some pain still associated with the spirit and the body. Well, everybody, different religious and spiritual practices have, you know, there's a wide variety of perspectives on all of those things. Um, but the, the larger point that I'm trying to get at is is really our cultural relationship with death and how we kind of, um, <clears throat> you know, navigate it socially in terms of the mores that we that we bring to the process. So, in other words, we we don't really want to confront it because we're so terrified in our own life. We don't want. We all know we're going to die, 
but we all think that we're the exception to that rule, that, that somehow we're going to weasel out of it ourselves and it's not going to happen. And I feel like society is crafted around that notion to the extent that, you know, anything that hints at this is removed from our kind of, you know, primary view of what we experience on a daily basis. Yeah, it's all, it's so, complete denial. So all the, all the focus is external. Everything is externally focused. And, and to take your attention off of, you know, what is a life and, and what are we really doing here in a body? And it's about consumerism or, or sex or addiction. Um, it, it, most of the world is externally um, there's this massive external stimulus to keep you from looking within, from from really realizing. Right. That's exactly what my point is. So until it happens to you or, it, you know, it cuts close to your bone, somebody in your family or your friend is going through this, uh, you don't really have to think about it or deal with it in your daily life. Right. So, so this experience of going through this with your father um, has brought it all up into my consciousness in a new way and is sort of reforming my relationship with it, you know, to really have me think, well, what, you know, it, it really does um, kind of anchor you in this idea that uh, that you are very temporary and that there really isn't that much time. I mean, you blink and it's over with, right? So, you know, what are you getting about in your life? What do you want to express? What do you want to leave behind? And, and and what do you want if you could have any control, which of course we don't, like what would your ideal way of passing look like? What would you like to, you know, have around you at that time? And what would you, you know, want to have happen to your own body? Like we were talking with the kids, like, you know, because Larry wants to be cremated, right? So we're saying, well, would you like to be cremated? Like, what would you like to happen to your body? And sort of pondering the the variety of options that are available to you uh, is kind of a weird thing that we don't think that much about. Like we were talking about how, you know, people that get embalmed, right? And what a bizarre concept that is. Like, I understand a lot of people do it and that's fine. I have no judgment on that. But if you really break down what it is, it's sort of like taxidermy for a human being. You sort of, they're dead, but you try to make them look alive. Like you put makeup on them and you dress them up and you put them in a casket so that people can, you know, look at them and not feel threatened by the fact that they're dead. And it's another barrier from really getting you to connect with the reality of what is actually happening. Yeah, or not feel the pain. It not be so painful. But the thing is, is that you know, you need to embrace the pain. You need to go through the pain. You need to feel it. You know, you need to cry. You need to process that whole thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's, and again, I mean, even, even more so, I would say, from my perspective, uh, more so, what do you want to leave here in your life would be, who are you really? And what is, what is the consciousness that is living your life? You know, it's that question of inquiry. Who am I? Who is the soul who incarnated into this life? And what is the nature of your, of your life source? So it's really realizing that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. And you're right. It's momentary. It's just a second. Like nothing is static. It's not, nothing in this world is going to remain. It will all fall away, including all of the things that you love more than anything in your life. Mm -hmm. They will all drop. And so this is why I, I cannot live 
without considering the, div- the divinity in every single action. I'm very, very aware of my death always. Yeah, you seem to be always cultivating that relationship in a conscious way. Like, and you've said very often, like, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. And, and I've sort of thought, okay, well, we'll see what that looks like when it actually happens because it is so terrifying. I mean, do you really hold to that idea that you think that, um, you know, when that moment arises, unless it happens suddenly, you know, in, an, in sort of an accident kind of way, that you'll be able to navigate it without fear? Yes, I do. But I've spent most of my life cultivating that muscle. So I'm not saying that I won't feel sadness. Or I, I cry. I cry about my dad. There's a part of me that I'm sad about it. I'm not trying to keep him here, nor is anyone else. Um, so I'm still very human. I'm a human being. But I've never been an illusion that I was never going to die. And in more than that, and I've said it before, every time I kiss you, I know. Every time I kiss any one of my kids, I'm very aware of it always, all the time. It's never not, I'm never not aware of it. And what is the practice that you rely on predominantly to cultivate that awareness? Well, it's, uh, it's been informed by meditation. It's also been informed by um, uh, the, the death of a, of a dear friend of mine's son um, uh, that happened many years ago. And, and I experienced that with her very, very, very closely. Like I was her closest friend. I was with her through all the horror of the, of that. So the, I would say that that really, really sort of brought it up, um, you know, very viscerally for me. Um, but even before that, I was always very, very aware, very aware of the temporal, um, quality of life. And, it makes living my life very, very rich because I'm very aware of it. But how, but, but how does somebody who's listening to this who might not have had those kinds of experiences, how can, how can one cultivate you know, that kind of um, you know, healthy appreciation and awareness that can help uh, you know, improve the quality of day-to-day life and, and maybe obviate some of that fear? Well, it's by having an inner focus and observing yourself and entering into a meditation program. You know, I have an amazing meditation program that we offer called Jai Release. Um, It's very, very, very powerful for starting to get you connected to the fact that you are a spiritual being having human experience. And then if you need more, if you need more evidence, like turn the news on, like look around, like what's happening. You know, it's like, understand if you're medicating yourself by shopping, or by drinking, or by using, or by, you know, being addicted to social media, or like this whole illusion that, you know, because you have a lot of Instagram followers, suddenly, you know, you're immortal. (laughs) It's like, it's, it can be kind of funny and kind of amusing how we as humans set up these things around ourselves, or getting very attached to a certain way of living, like, like that's going to stop it, mm-hmm. you know, like that's going to then make you immortal and you're not going to die. Now, in my perspective, I practice yoga and I study the practices of yoga, like pranayama, like meditation, like yoga nidra. I've been cultivating this awareness of what is beyond the body because of any beings on the planet, the yogis, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you know, acrobatic yoga. I'm talking about real classical yoga. You know, the yogis know. They, they know certain practices, their breathing practices, breath of fire, um, and which take you beyond the body. And, you know, you're not going to, you know, become a, an advanced master yogi overnight. 
but you will start to cultivate this other awareness of wait a second like this isn't quite you know what what the whole material world is telling me and then over your practice depending on your level of heart how much you really you know do, do you really want to have a relationship with the divine are you really do you really want that and if you want that the divine will run to you it'll take you know, a hundred steps towards you if you take one step towards it. And suddenly your life becomes divine and everything that happens is profound. And, you know, I, I, I have signs given to me all day, every day. But it's because I'm looking for them, because I want them, I'm cultivating that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that your dad is satisfied with the life that he's lived? Yes. I mean, he seems like he's at peace. Yes, I think he is, and I and and also this has been another just uh, just so profound. Life is so incredibly beautiful, but you know, my dad and I couldn't have been too different. You know, more different. We were definitely extremes on the polarity, you know, scale, um, and yet, you know, there were uh, there were many times where there was a lot of pain between us and a lot of misunderstanding. I can't say that he that he really ever understood me in a human form. Um, we also found times of our life where we were able to connect in a very deep way. So I found a way to meet him in the areas where he could, where there was a bridge for us. So one of those areas was when I built homes. I built two homes in a six-year period. And my dad was a, a civil engineer, a very, very fine, amazing engineer who was the you know head project manager for huge um, uh, projects. He built the um, hotel at Alyeska, a huge, you know, huge building. Um, and his latest um, project, he was the project manager on a $70 million museum um, designed by David Chipperfield. Um, extraordinary building. And he worked for the natives in, in Alaska his whole life. He built mm -hmm. all their hospitals and art centers and everything. So when I built these homes, we could, we could meet there. We could meet over the blueprints. We could meet over, over that. That was like a, a way for me to connect with him. Um, and uh, uh, so here I am in my, in my life. Uh, um, my dad uh, did not understand my, um, my affection for the yogi lineage. <laughs> he did not understand. That's an understatement. That's an understatement. Uh, he did not understand, um, you know, my vegetarianism, my veganism, although he ate my food and enjoyed it. And just as, as, as early as like 10 days ago, he said, Julie, your food is very different, but it's very good. <laughs> so, um, That's you know, as good as it's going to get. No, he was sweet. No, he was always sweet. But I would, tell, I would tell you that even though he didn't understand me, if I ever really needed him, he was always there. And he was there financially for me, and he was there for you as mm -hmm. well, financially. And as well, um, you know, he always, um, he, he, he always tried to support and... Um, he read your book when mm -hmm. it came out, and uh, you know he found a way to connect with you as well, even though you're you're very very different. Right. So, but I guess what I want to say is, again, my dad and I couldn't be more different. Um, I honor and respect him for his choices in his life. It, it is his life, and I told him a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, actually, before we went to Europe, he called me to say goodbye to me because he didn't think he was going to be alive when we returned. 
And, um, uh, you know, I told him, I said, Dad, you know, I'm going to see you on the other side. And I said, we're going to have a laugh about this play that we agreed to have together. And I said, um, everything in your life is divinely created. And he was the perfect father for me because he allowed me to experience what my soul needed to experience. And that didn't mean, in my case with him, that we were the closest, you know, daddy-daughter. Just wasn't like that for us. But if you look at my Vedic chart, it shows in there. Chakrapani told me on my birthday, which I shared like the last podcast that I was on, I had no opportunity of a close relationship with my father. It did not exist in my divine plan. However, because I was able to to see that and to find a place where I could connect with him, by the end of his life, we had resolved that. It had totally come into resolution. And I, you know, when he called me before I left for Europe, I was like, oh man, I just, I was, I was okay before that. Like I was fine. I, I understood we were very different and I was cool with that. And I knew he loved me the way that he loved me. And I knew that in the afterlife, he's going to go where he wants to go. He's not going where I'm going. He's going where he's, where he wants to go. Um, but um, what I didn't understand was that I would get this experience of caring for him in the hospital. I was with him for two days and he was having a lot of struggle and he was still lucid and still aware in some spaces. And I was able to connect with him on a soul level. And I had this intimate experience with him and uh, he would come in and out, you know, and then he would say to me, hey, you know, how, oh, when did you get here? Or where you been? And I said, oh, I've been around, you know, like realizing that he had forgotten that I had just been with him through this test and that I had just done this prayer and this mm-hmm. meditation for him. But I realized at that moment this profound, profound uh, um, truth, and that is that he had certainly been with me when I was a baby. He had certainly held me and rocked me and comforted me. And I did not remember that. And here I was at the end of his life. And, he, and I was comforting him and loving him and kissing him. And he didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. It is this weird thing how, how suddenly... You know, you do become in many ways like a baby again or like an infant. It's full. Right down to the 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 things you have to wear and no, you know, all full, that kind of stuff. Full on, no. It's having to be fed and not understanding what's going on. Like all that kind of stuff. It's just amazing how it comes full circle like no, that. No, and but Tyler I, said to me yesterday, you know, he just said, Mom, he's, you know, all the kids have just been with them and spending the night over there. And it's like we're just, we're so blessed. But 
he just said mom he's like it's just it's so full circle like so full circle and so amazingly beautiful and such a gift because Tyler and Trapper lost their dad in a in an accident and didn't have didn't have this moment didn't have the this slower exit so you know it, it every every life is divine and every exit is divine so you know they just come in different colors but this happens to be how we're experiencing this one mm-hmm. yeah and 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 when he finally passes there's no regret on your end or no words unsaid or nothing no. unresolved no which is m- as good as you can that's the best that you can hope for that's no the best. well Situation. Well, I think that yeah. I mean, I think I was I was extremely blessed. Again, it's it has me on my knees in reverence to the divine that I was given this amazing gift that we were able to wrap this up in this way. Like I said, I was cool before. I understood it well, and I was fine. And then when when we had the phone conversation, that was such a blessing. I was just felt so so much love and so amazing. And then when I was with him in the hospital my heart was just exploding. I mean, exploding with love from, for him and so intimate, you know, and there's nothing about this process that has been um, like uh, uncomfortable for me. Like I can't hold him or I can't help him. There's nothing. It's all it is and really for all of us. So it's just been another amazing, beautiful uh, gift of life. And, um, you know, I think that the way my family has been honoring him and will continue as we go through, you know, the rest of the the days, uh, we have we have all done very very well by him. And I think by us not wasting the opportunity and actually experiencing it in the present, with all the sadness and the, you know, some horrific, some beautiful and profound qualities of it. We have honored him in his life, and we have honored him in his death. Mm-hmm. And I know I will see him again. And the thing that I'm taking away from the last week of just being there with everybody around is 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 the is the, the desire to have a similar passing in the sense that, of course, I want to live a long life. But like, if I was to be on my deathbed. You know, I would want to be surrounded by the people that I love and that I care about. And I would certainly hope that I would be able to fill a room the way that he's filled a room and have people sitting there, you know, sort of, you know, taking time out of their busy lives to just be right. But that doesn't exist for a lot of people. And I think if you want to be somebody who gets to have that experience, certainly you can't control, you know, how you're going to die. You can get hit by a car or something like that. But if you are in the scenario in which you're passing, you know, slowly like Larry, um, the way that you get all those people to show up for you boils down to how you're living your life moment to moment right now. Yeah. It's directly tied to who were you in your life? on a daily basis yeah, and how did you how did you treat the people in your life mm-hmm. you know are you the kind of person that honored them and loved them and gave of yourself to them so that they want to actually be around you in that moment yeah and he was and he was for many for many 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 and um yeah so uh he he did well in his life and you know, my beautiful mother, she's she's amazing. She's so strong and res- resilient. And 
also always has a great sense of humor and you know she's been by his side for many 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 years and I, I I would like to just share really quickly how they met because I think it's very profound and again just sort of bookends the sacredness of a life and, and the fact that if you're looking at the signs it can't be otherwise like it's just it just can't be you know my mother um, was living in, in Santiago Chile her father had um, left her own mom and when my mom was six year, 16 years old and my mom had to go out and support her mother and her sister this was in an era where women didn't work it was very very challenging for my mom but my mom is a survivor and she found a job with this American company and my mom uh, became engaged to an American engineer his name was Don I don't know his last name but um, they were engaged to be married, and my mom was kind of late to get married because in Chile you got married much younger, and she was 25, um, so she was a little bit of a late bloomer in that society. And um, her fiancé was out on a boat, and uh, there was an accident, and he drowned, and it was about a month before their wedding. And my mom was actually, she was the teletype secretary, and she was the one to receive the message of his death. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah, and then my dad was working for the same company in, I think, Brazil. He was also in Ecuador at some point. But, you know, we have all these photo albums where he actually built these towers in the jungles, and he was living with, you know, the natives, and, and in Panama, and sort of all over. He was mapping the land. Um, and my father was sent as Don's replacement. And so my dad, my mom describes when she saw my dad walk in the room, she knew she was going to marry him. And, you know, she can't explain why. So some six months later, they became engaged and my mom left her entire family and everything she had ever known to go with this man from Chile to Texas, mm -hmm. which is where... They, Amarillo, um, Texas. Right? Well, Amarillo was where his parents were from, and I still have dear family there. But, uh, yeah, so it was to Texas, and then they moved to Denver, Colorado. And my dad actually got his master's there in engineering at the School of Mines. And um, so they, they had five children together. And then later in life, when my dad was in his 40s, he worked for Martin Marietta Company, um, and he quit his corporate job and drove up to Alaska with my oldest brother, uh, Thane, to set up a practice. And he lived up there for two years before he sent for us. So he went ahead. I and knew got that he went ahead. I didn't realize it was two years. Yeah, it was a it was a while. So during that two year, did he fly back from time to time? I don't think he did because I think it was you know that wasn't so easy. It wasn't yeah. just like people just jumped on a plane. It might have been one year, but I think it was two years time wow. and he got it set up the practice set up and then and then he he called for us and uh -huh. and um yeah he moved up there because he wanted to hunt and fish and fly basically how the rest of the family feel about that not so good we actually <laughs> didn't didn't feel i felt good because i was too young i was the youngest and i was like oh this will be an adventure but it was definitely a very hard life and and not a move up for any of us not education wise and there was a tremendous amount of drugs and we're actually all lucky that we're alive, um, quite frankly. All of my brothers and sisters, we, we made it out. Um, but, you know, there you go. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was something that he had to do. And the, in those days, it was more 
maybe I mean at least in my in my reality it was more like what he what he wanted was the most important thing as the head of the household mm-hmm. and not so much with the children right and now our children r- rule they rule us yeah, Mathis gets <laughs> to decide where we live and stuff like no, that no kidding <laughs> yeah. yeah it's definitely a different it's a different time well you know he's an old school guy you know he mm-hmm. you know he's definitely of a different time and, and era mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because you know, I was driving through like Hollywood yesterday after spending time, you know, with him, and I'm looking up at billboards of like scantily clad women in in bikinis, or the, a billboard for some new YouTube star, and I'm just, but I'm thinking about Larry the whole time, and I'm like, must be weird for like Larry, who's 92, to like drive in a car and kind of look around up at billboards and advertisements that. <clears throat> are the reference points of which are completely unrelatable to a guy like that who comes from such a different time and has lived his life like so differently mm-hmm. you know yeah, I mean I would say that's probably why he didn't you know there's nothing really in LA that he wanted to experience no of course not um, but except all of his kids and um, you know it's just so so sweet when the grandkids come in the room and it's like you know he just up until you know a day ago he he knew they were there and he just so sweet, so mm-hmm. so so sweet. So it's been quite, quite profound life. Once again, you just blow my mind. Well, if you, I mean, if you couldn't have scripted a better kind of, you know, conclusion to his life uh, than what's happening. You know, just to, for him to be surrounded by his entire family. Yeah, that's right. And no one's hanging on. Everybody is, uh, you know, everybody's at peace with it. And he wanted to go before, like he was, he was talking about it for a while. So he doesn't, I mean, his own dad lived till 96 and he was like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't want to live that long. Hmm. So this is his choice. And he only, he only made it to to 92. 92. Yeah. That's some, you know, amazing genes to make it that long. Not only that, it's like his feet, you know, like in yoga, in yogi, you know, tradition it's like you always look at the feet of the person like the feet are very very sort of representative of the being and uh his feet are just they're pristine like they're they don't even look they look like a 30 year old foot it's crazy yeah it is (laughs) we were kind of like turning him in his sheets and trying to get him dressed the other day and you had mentioned that to me so then when you I looked. actually looked at his feet, I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> right? Like, my feet look way worse. Than, mm-hmm. I mean, his look like he like from just below, like from the shin down, mm-hmm. like from below from the his knee, knee even down, from, his knee, from the yeah. knee down. Mm-hmm. They look Perfect. like the legs of a You could go run a marathon. Yeah, it's yeah. actually kind of amazing because mm-hmm. his hands don't look like that. I yeah. mean, his hands are very yeah. weathered and, and aged. But um, I, what is that like? Some divine I energy. Know. I don't know. The but skin it's pretty looks beautiful. like, yeah, perfect and the whole thing. It's, yeah, it's a weird pretty thing. Pretty crazy. So, so if you had to script your end, what does that look like? Mm. <laughs> My end is a, is a conscious exit from the body where from a point of spirit, I draw my life force out of my body and drop it like a dress. Are you going to get to a point in your life where you just you feel like you want to make that conscious decision? Of course. Would that be uh, precipitated by like an illness or age, or you just think at some point you're going to be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I've done what I've done. Yeah, what I, I came that, here to do." I think more of that. And you're going to flick a switch. Yeah. That's a little frightening. I'll kiss you goodbye first. Yeah. All right. Give me a little <laughs> forewarning. Yeah, I will. 
I actually know. I mean, I I know in my birth chart what my death date is. If you, if anybody's actually, and it's interesting because. Uh, I've spoken about Vedic astrology just a couple episodes, and I'm getting emails from people who want re- who want referral. So um, anyway, if you're interested, email me. But yeah, the, the your chart will actually show your death date, and they never they never tell people that because most people would be very upsetting to to uh, to deal with that. But I really wanted to know mine, so I really pressed the issue and did a little bit of research and pressed a little bit more, and I I got my date. So. You know, I mean, it's not an end all. It's sort of like a predisposition for how things unfold. But uh, I'll be around for a while. I wouldn't want to know that. (laughs) When I found out, I was like, I was elated. It was like a wonderful, fantastic bit of information. So I loved it. All right. Well, don't tell me. I won't. I haven't looked at it. And what do you want? What do you want? How do you want your body disposed of? Um, I think I, I want to be burned, uh, you know, yogi style, wrapped in, uh, in rose water and rose petals and uh, returned to the fire. Like not in a crematorium, but no. in like a ceremony where you're mm-hmm. like on a scaffold like they do it. Yeah, like in, a pyre. I'd love that. Like in, That'd be the bomb. Can you light it? <laughs> <laughs> will, you s- that. will you strike the match? That's, I, I don't know. I have to of think co- about that. Of course. Like at that time, it'll be well, appropriate. What's that movie where they do it? It's a, it, it's they do it in Greek tradition as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, or they. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking about like a movie that I saw, like Gladiator or something like that, where I watched yeah. them do that. But anyway, I think that's a beautiful ceremony. I think I just, I can't imagine being. I don't want to be embalmed. I definitely don't want that. That's and I good. Don't, and I can't wrap my head around like being cremated in a crematorium like I think I would like to, if my preference would be to just be planted not in a casket but just my body like dig a hole and put my body in a garden mm-hmm. and just grow all kinds of amazing food on top of me and then have that food you know grow and then have everybody that I care about have a big meal and eat it we would like together. eat you we yeah, would all like become you could then, like you yeah, could birth so like my, your your own like that's, Ultraman army, my... and then everybody would be doing Ultraman races. Well, you know, like whether it's like tomatoes or avocado, you just make like some amazing meal with all the food that comes from that grew out of the fertilized soil, the fertilization provided by my organic material. Well, that would be certainly appropriate. Can we make? Is it is it legal? It's probably not no. I legal. think you can. I mean, it's interesting. It's funny because I like bury your your somebody. You can't just have somebody buried in your backyard. Yeah, I don't know about that, but you can do that. But you can't, you can't, there are green burials, by the way. So that's starting to happen. I did hear it mentioned. And, you know, we're doing some, we're doing a very, very similar uh, ceremony for my father. So that he wants to be cremated, but he will be wrapped uh, with offerings and rose petals. And and, uh, they have given me their word that they will not disturb um, what we provide them. Mm so that they will put him in in the offering that we prepared. So it's quite quite beautiful. Everybody's just my family have so much love for all of them and just for my extraordinary mother for all that she has stood for in her life and she also um supported him to be a better man and always was holding the peace and the beauty and the love, the unconditional love again and again and again. And so, uh, once again, um, the female energy is, is quite powerful and 
does a lot for us in our well, lives. Yeah, your mom's amazing. We got to wrap this up in a minute, but I, I think the final thought that I kind of want to um, end on is, you know, what have you, what have you taken away from this experience of being there with your father and kind of helping him navigate towards this port of call? Just, uh, you know, just kind of what I shared. I mean, this immense beauty of, uh, of being, you know, being a spirit consciousness and, and making a contract with each other that he was going to be my father and I was going to come in to learn a certain specific set of lessons for my own evolution. So the fact that he agreed at some point to hold that space for me um, is such a sacred relationship. And, you know, and even though uh, we were not alike and it was not uh, necessarily easy, um, it has been profound beyond measure. And to, to be able to be intimate with him in these last days and kiss him in a way I never could or hold him in a way that I never could when his personality was, was in force um, has been a blessing of my life that I, I could have never imagined. And it is, again, proof. It is visceral proof to me of the fact that we are spiritual consciousness that come into experience this together. And I am so immensely grateful that I have the privilege of holding him and washing him and comforting him and healing him um, in these last days. It is, uh, it is an immense privilege and I am forever blessed and uh, grateful and honoring to him uh, for eternity, for the role that he played in my life. Yeah, I mean, you've really been able to show up for it 110%. You know, and I think for a lot of people, you know, this moment is difficult because it brings up their own fear of their own mortality and it brings up past resentments and, you know, old history and all kinds of things that that erect barriers from tapping into the that the beautiful intimacy that can occur if you can get past those things right so it would have been easy for you to be like well my dad and I we just never really saw eye to eye like yeah I'll be there for him but like you know I got my own trip going on <laughs> you know something like that or or to be holding on to something that he did you know 35 years ago that you still think about but he probably doesn't remember and to use that as like a tool for you know why you can't show up when in the reality is you're just terrified you're a terrified little girl who's about to lose their dad, which I think is the more common uh, relationship to this experience. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it always comes back to yourself. So once again, we're back in meditation. It's like all of the experience are simply here for your own evolution, for your own process of becoming. And uh, no matter who your your parents are, I mean, it is significant you know, it, it does mean something. And, you know, that's not to mean that every parent is, is wonderful and should be reconciled with. Sometimes lives don't work out that way, and that's fine. There's no, no judgment on that. Just in, in general, um, when you have a relationship with somebody and you experienced um, a life with them, at the end of the life, when the life is leaving, the personality is, is no longer there. And 
only the love remains at the end. And so if you have an opportunity, um, I would not miss it. I would not miss one minute mm. of it. That's a good place to end it. Yeah, and I actually would like to take us out with a song. Uh, this was a, another um, another opportunity that I had in my life uh, is music to connect with my dad. And my dad played harmonica since we were little kids, and uh, his brother played for the Glenn Miller Band twice, once as a trumpet player, once as a piano player. My dad's mom was a piano player. And uh, later in my life, actually, uh, when Dad was 91, <laughs> um, I was able to have him play harmonica on one of the songs on my record. And it's a song called The New Earth. It's about ascension, and it's about uh, uh, a new way of being and living in the now. Uh, and he played a very sweet harmonica solo on this for me at age 91 and also performed at our Plant Power Way book release party um, mm -hmm. last year. And we had him on stage. And uh, anyway, I feel incredibly blessed that we were able to experience that together. And so I'd like to take us out with that song. Right. So the episode that preceded this one was my conversation with Dr. Michael Greger and uh, in his new book, How Not to Die. So I think this episode is, if you are going to die, here's maybe a few. <laughs> how to die. <laughs> how to die, yeah. That was how not to die, and this is how, how to die, yes. I think, right? Yeah. Because we need both. How to die. I think we need how to die more, I think. How not to die. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I'm sure he addresses that in the book. I, I haven't read the book yet, but... Um, I'm sure it's a great book, but we need to, we need to understand that we all are going to die. All of us. That's the, that's the condition of this system that we live in. And so we, we come here to learn, to grow, to evolve. And, uh, a, it takes time to become, it takes a life to become. And, uh, remember that the relationships that bring you some of the hardest challenges, may in fact be the ones that are the most divine because they are the ones that transform you and shape you. And so don't miss the opportunity to honor all experiences as sacred and all relationship as sacred. Um, and um, uh, being aware of death is a way to live very, very um, present lives because then nothing is wasted. Thanks for talking to me today. Thanks for having me on, Rich. Peace. Plants. Namaste. Get ready to shine. Being is the place to be. Let it happen in you.
just let go.